we are trying to duck, but my sister was too slow to do that. And um, wow. then she died. And by the grace of God, you lived. Yeah, and I mean, afterwards, I think it's by the grace of God, but there was a time I thought God must be very, very cross with me that he didn't let them take my life too, because I was a mess after that. Knowing when to break through the boundaries of average to question the unquestionable is the sign of greatness. It's those moments when you get to the absurd stage that things truly get interesting. Well, the world is in need of a new generation of leaders, leaders who have the courage to break through the boundaries and question everything around them. Well, society is yearning for bold and enthusiastic women and men to provide the necessary leadership that will be required for the next leap forward. The journey to get to the brink can be unpredictable, but knowing you're at the brink, pure genius, my friends. Today, we are on the brink of greatness. You didn't expect it. It came out of nowhere, and it completely changes your life. It changes your thinking as well. It changes how you deal with things. It, it changes just your whole persona. And you know, the other secret thing I think about these kinds of moments in life is you can never go back to where you were before that incident happened. In other words, that incident, that moment, it all changed and it changes forever. It never really goes back. I'd like you to meet our Brink thinker today, Rhea Peters. Rhea Peters is out of Jeffrey Bay's South Africa. And the work she is doing out in South Africa is amazing. And it's connected, by the way, to another Brink thinker who was on some time ago with us, an incredible man. We'll touch on him today as well, Greg Busick. Rhea, you had one of those traumatic moments in your life. And the story early on is, is profound in the way that your sister was murdered right in front of you. Yeah, it happened in Johannesburg, South Africa, in a, in a situation that was a carjacking. What was your life like the day before this happened? Well, I was retired. I moved to the sea. I was going to have this wonderful life, sitting on the beach, looking at the people, enjoying myself, do some traveling. And then I visited my sister in Johannesburg. We went to a friend and we were carjacked. And they shot my sister next to me and um, she died. And for some reason, I stayed alive. And um, that was the, I don't think there's something worse than that that can happen to you. Yeah. When they, kill somebody next to you and you survive um, it's a major surviving skill guilt I'm, I'm not skilled guilt um, this whole thing you wonder why didn't they kill you it'd be much easier but um, my whole life changed in that minute I lost my feel of safety I lost my sister mm -hmm. I lost everything. 
Yep. It was just terrible. I, on that particular day in Johannesburg, you and your sister, you, so you're traveling in the car, and were you stopped at an intersection or a, or a road? Were you stopped when this happened? No, we stopped in front of apartment of the friend that we were going to visit. It was in a cul-de-sac, and um, all of a sudden there was a car behind us and next to us, and they started to shoot. So uh, let me ask you, there, were, there was more than one car? There was more than one car? Uh, yes, there was one that blocked the entrance to the cul-de-sac, and then there was the one with three guys in it, uh, sh- shoot at us. I think they were looking for the car. They wanted to use the car because when they, oh, they after they shot my sister and they opened the door to play out, there was, because they shot her in her head, there was a lot of blood. And the one guy said something to the other guy that was trying to pull me out of the car. And then they just sped off. I think because of all the blood in the car, they just thought, well, we can't use this car. I'm, I'm not sure. But usually they're after the cars. So you're in front of your friend's home. You have the carjacking. And now these people kill your sister to get the car. And now the car has too much blood in it. They leave the car and your dead sister there with you. That's correct. Rhea, did they pull you out of the car or did you leave the car yourself when it happened? No, I couldn't get out of the car because the car had the anti-carjacking system and I couldn't get the door open. But they broke the window when they shoot my sister and they were on their way to shoot the, the, the window on my side uh, when the other guy said to him something and they just left. And I had a struggle to get out of the car to get some help. So in other words, you were, when they left, you were still in the car? Yes. I see, which is probably why you lived then. I, I Honestly, I don't know. There was times that I thought, man, if they killed me too, it would be much better. Hmm, I know. Yeah, I, I understand. Why do you think they left you there alive? And no idea, huh? I, I really, I don't know. Do you think they intended to kill your sister, or was I mean, was this was was it the accident of the moment? You know how sometimes when a crime goes forward, you see, and sometimes it's not entirely intended, but things get out of hand. Was it one of those situations, or did they? Do you think they really? I think they intend to get us out of the car uh, because it was a very dark street and uh, they wanted the car and they couldn't get the door open because of the anti-hijack thing. And uh, they get upset and they shoot her. So carjacking in that area is very common, yes? Yes, in that area it is. So it's very common. So there's a, you have something called an anti-carjacking system, yes? Yes. And that's what they were struggling with, which really ended up costing your sister her life because they couldn't obtain the car, and so they shot her in the head. Yes. That's wow. actually what I think what, what, what happened. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, usually when you get out of the car, they rape the woman before they sped off the, the car. Um, that was, uh, we were spared that part of the thing. And this is a normal, so you're saying in a normal circumstances, they take your car, your car jacked, and then they rape the women when that happens. Yeah. And, and this is an everyday occurrence there. Yeah, it, 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 it's usually how it happens. With that said, Rhea, and I want to talk about that a moment. With, with women, do a lot of women drive in, in this area, in Johannesburg? Yes, they do, because there's a lot of women that say they're not going to live in fear. Right, right. And they they just drive, but they will not stop at a stop street or a robot or a traffic light or whatever. They just drive when it's nighttime. So they have to drive through stop signs and red lights, and they can't stop, obviously, right, the automobile? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they're scared of, of a carjacking. There's no way to stop this. This is just a fact of life there. There's no way to stop this, right? Well, the police try to stop them, but I mean, you don't know where they're going to strike next. It, it's just um, somebody said, you know, you're going to be carjacked. You just don't know when. In other words, that's the feeling there that everybody believes that it's just a matter of time before it will happen to you? Yeah. But that is in Johannesburg. It's not throughout the country, but that's where it, what it is like there. How far do you live now away from that area? How close are you to it? Oh, I'm about 12 hours drive from there. Oh, a long ways. Yeah. Long ways. So you never lived in that yeah. area then, no? No, I never did. So you were, you were visiting then? You were, you were visiting, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. I see. And did your sister live in that area? Yes, she worked there. I see. Um, and she lived there. So you were visiting your sister who worked and lived there. And wow, I, I just, you know, it is profound to hear this from you, Rhea. I mean, nobody should have to go through such a horrific situation, a crime like this. And no, you're right. I mean, and yet you're saying to me, which is hard for me to comprehend, quite frankly, but you're saying to me it's a way of life in Johannesburg. And this happens where and the women are sexually abused and the cars are stolen and they are just really tortured through all of it. And I saw them shooting. It it was like slow motion that I see the bullet uh, coming and we are trying to duck, but my sister was too slow to do that. And, um, Wow. Then she died. And by the grace of God, you lived. Yeah. I mean, afterwards, I think it's by the grace of God. But there was a time I thought God must be very, very cross with me that he didn't let them take my life too because I was a mess after that. You were a mess. Yeah, your life was was devastated. I mean, your sister. How many? Um, how many uh, in your family? How many siblings in your family? We were uh, six. Six. Okay. We were. Yeah, we are six. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's now five left. Right. And um, and now you and you were you at that time living back in Jeffrey's Bay as well? 
Yes, I lived in Jeffreys Bay. Okay. Um, after I retired, I moved there. Yeah. Yeah, because and, you retired. Uh, you retired by the sea, you said, yes. right? Yes. Right. Okay. All I right. I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's amazing. I mean, it, it truly is an amazing story. And you know, when I started talking, Ria, up front, and I said that you know there's something that can happen in your life that is so dramatic that your life will never be the same again. Boy, wow, was that a moment for you or was it not a moment, huh? <laughs> it was definitely. I mean, I, uh, I didn't realize it was to, to this pain, to this level. I, I mean, I'm discovering the story as everybody is. And I just want to tell you, my heart goes out to you, love. And um, it is really, really sad that this happens uh, today. And yet it happens in many areas. And, and I... It's it's just pure evil, Ria. Pure evil. Unfortunately, um, that's the fact of life. And uh, uh, lately, they said the crime rate went down in Johannesburg. I don't know if it's true, but apparently it went down a little bit. They say, huh? Yeah. It's almost yeah. it's almost like it's not civilized at all. It's very uncivilized, huh? Yes. I mean, really, though. I, mean, I is... haven't been back. I haven't been back to Johannesburg since. Yeah. So I cannot tell you what is happening. And there. I don't imagine you will ever go back, will you? If I can help it, no. No. I will not go back. Yeah, I don't think you would. I don't see. You know, that's profound for many reasons. For many, many reasons. Um, so. You get out of the car now. You struggle to get out of the car. The hijackers took off, right? The carjackers, they're gone. Yes. Yeah. And you're now in the car. Your sister shot. Like you say, the car's a mess. You're in there. And so you struggle to get out of the car. What happens next? Well, I went to the neighbors, knock on the door, ask them to open the door. They don't want to open because they heard the shots and they didn't want to come out. So I had to go to other the next neighbor knock on their door eventually on the third time i got somebody to open the door to phone the police and the ambulance and then it took forever for them to reach us and um, eventually they did come how, and um, yes how long is forever man i can't be exact but it was about half an hour before they came, but it felt like days a year probably. Yeah, I, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. my sister was bleeding profoundly. She lost consciousness. I didn't know was she dead, was she still breathing? Do, um, do you think I Rhea, was just if, running do, around? Do you think if they were there earlier, do you think she could have been saved or was it too too far gone from the incident initially? I don't know because the way they shoot her in her head, the, they, um, uh, the, the brain was, uh, the, the bullet was in her brain. So I don't think she would have made no, it. No, no, yeah. So it wasn't a superficial thing. It was a, no, it was a, no, no. It was a serious, serious uh, incident, obviously. But yeah. sometimes the loss yeah. of blood or the loss of a situation in time can make the difference of life and death, you know? Uh, for folks, you know, mm -hmm. and so so they finally get there, and I'm going to assume that the paramedics and the officials and the police and all of these people in the community, I will assume that they are probably very very busy, and this is probably, as you say, a very common occurrence. So, 
they sort of get there when they get there. Is that the idea? Yeah. They don't know how serious it is because people get hysterical and they really don't know when it is life-threatening and when it's not. So... Now you're at this point where your life changes dramatically, Rhea, and you are, as you say, you, you know, you, you're trying to, uh, the anxieties are high. As I see your story, you, you felt very unsafe. Um, and, and then I was very taken by this um, scripture, and you talk about one night that you were reading in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And I want to Talk about that in just a moment. It's it's a really, it's a it's a awesome scripture that really sets the tone for what happens next and what you're doing now uh, in uh, really uh, in this community by the sea, Jeffreys Bay, South Africa. Here, uh, truly amazing. Here, Rhea Peters. Uh, wow, I my heart goes out to you. Um, friends, we're going to pick that up. I'm going to share that scripture with you and talk more about this story on the other side of the brink in just a moment. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Friends, it's Malcolm Out Loud on the brink of greatness. And uh, with Kevin Williams, we're um, talking to Rhea Peters. And when we initially said she was a brain thinker and you hear the story and the first part of the story and you know as every story to explain to you folks i don't know every story when we come into these i look at them just moments before i hit the mic and i i do that intentionally in many cases because i want the spontaneity of the conversation to be real and i want to discover the story as you discover it with our brain thinker so to say that i was aghast would be an understatement i didn't know it was to this level, quite frankly. And so, Rhea, first of all, I, I send you positive love, energy, and, and heartfelt. Thank you. And nothing can replace, obviously, what you went through in your sister and when, when this happened. This happened in what year, Rhea? It was in uh, 2001. Okay. All right, so it's been a few years since then. How many years did you struggle? About two years that I, I struggled. Um, I didn't go out at night. I was, I had anxiety attacks. I was really just a mess. And then one night when I went home, I went to a church service and I thought, well, I'm over it. And when I got out of my car in front of my house, I just got this terrible attack. I couldn't get in the house. I had to phone people to come and help my, me. I was hysteric. Um, it, it was terrible. And when I got into the house, I said, God, please, I can't live like this anymore. It's not me. I need to go out. I need to feel safe again. I really, you need to help me. 
and then I read that scripture. Had you, let me ask you before we read that scripture, had you talked to God before then? I did, but I basically said, God keep me safe, God help me, God said, but that night I said, I can't live like this anymore. Right. I, you really need to do now, some, do something now, because honestly, it's not worth living that way. To be always in cl- behind closed doors, closed windows, uh, never going out, uh, it, it was terrible. And then on top of it, the guilt of that I survived and my sister died. Well, the guilt would be that's tremendous. Hard. I mean, yeah, the guilt is heavy. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a burden you carry in life now, always. I want to ask yeah. you a, a very difficult question, please. Um, throughout this process of those couple of years prior to that day, have, had you ever considered taking your own life, committing suicide? No, never. Okay. All right. So you, you knew you had to fight through it then, right? Yes, I know. Somehow I knew I, my life was spared for a reason. I just didn't know what reason and why and why I couldn't get over all this anxiety nonsense. Um, I, I need to sleep again. It, it was just terrible. Right. So now this particular day, you're back in Jeffrey's Bay, South Africa now. It's a couple of years later. You're struggling through all of these particular episodes, this one particular night, as you say, and then you finally reach out. And again, this is where faith plays a big part of all of it. And let's read that scripture now. And then I want to know from you how it really, truly changed your life, because this is important. Now you, you reach to your, your, your higher power. You reach to God at that point, Rhea. And 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and it goes like this. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Why did that scripture change it for you? Um, I think it's because I knew for nearly two years, I tried to um, do everything in my own power to get over the anxiety, to drink sleeping pills, to not going out. Everything I, I said I will get over it, but it just went, just got worse. So when I read that, I could have read, Ria, my grace is sufficient for you. And Ria, my strength, I will fulfill my my strength um, is for you. So in your weakness, I will help you. That is how I saw it um, that night. And I went to bed and I didn't take sleeping pills or anything. I just went to bed and I fell asleep. The next morning, I knew that God is going to help me to get over it. Still not knowing what I'm going to do, but I just know that God will see me through this whole episode. And how did you begin? Now, I see that. I mean, I I understand this next morning. 
how did it really start to take shape? Your confidence started to come back. Your, 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 the anxieties were less. How did you feel truly that God was in your life at that point, Rhea, that it would make a difference? The next morning I spoke to the church secretary and I said to her, listen, last night was the turning point in my life. I can't live like this because in, after, I, after the hijack, I went to the church office and I said, can I help you? Because I need to keep my mind occupied. And uh, she said to me, and I said to her, I think I need to go and as a missionary somewhere, just get out of the country. And then she said to me, listen, I get so sick and tired of people who want to leave the country instead of us all pull together and make a difference in our own country. And um, then I went to the township. That's where all the uh, black people in, live. And it took all my strength to drive through and not feel that everybody's going to shoot at me. And after that, I knew God is going to help me because I got out safely and I didn't have an anxiety attack. So um, then I just know God is going to get through. Maria, you were thinking about leaving South Africa at that point? Yes. Yes. And let me ask you, I want to explore that a moment with you, uh, because that's another big moment in your life where you're, you're so saddled with grief and saddled with despair and anxieties. As you say, sleeping pills, you can't sleep, you can't live, you can't think. And that you're now thinking, I've got to leave the country. And then this profound conversation I find very unique through the church, where they said you wanted to do more help, but they said you should do it here and not somewhere else where would you have moved to where would you have gone if you left South Africa did you know did you have any idea I used to go on mission trips to the Ukraine and that was my first thing maybe I need to go to the Ukraine and do something there that was the only place that I knew and that I thought I would be safe hmm isn't that something? The UK, the UK, uh, the Ukraine, I mean, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, and very interesting. Very interesting that you had picked that area, but you never, but that didn't happen. You decided to stay there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. When so, I, yeah. No, I was saying when I drove through the, the black township and I saw all the women, uh, the thought came to me that, if I can help them to be financially independent, mm -hmm. there will not be so much crime in the country because it's because of poverty that they do so much crime. Was this in the Jeffrey Bays area? Yeah. Yes, okay. So you're seeing that with the women now, and so you're thinking you want to help them, right? Yes. And that's a big turning point because now – you want to take this pain and this grief and this sorrow and you want to turn it into action. You want to turn it into something positive. You want to do something positive with your life. Yeah. I thought, well, I survived. Uh, God is helping me. I'm going to do something to help yeah. these women. Yeah. 
And then I want to bring in this point next now. And this is what was said through Greg Busick, who, again, we did a show with Greg Busick uh, on the brink of greatness, friends. And so you can listen to that. It's extraordinary, the work he does, ROI, as I recall, and um, really makes an impact around the globe trying to help uh, charities and not-for-profits. And he said this, he said, it is truly amazing, grace personified, The things that she does for these kids from basic medical care to tutoring to basic tuition of her own pocket is amazing. So he started to talk about some of this connection. Tell me about Greg Busick, what you know about this. Well, at that time, after I started with the women, they asked me to to, uh, open a daycare center for the kids and uh, so that they can be safe and not in the street because at that time, uh, Greg, it is the most heartbreaking thing to see how many of these long, young little girls are raped. And um, when I was teaching the women sewing and beadwork, there was one day, uh, I didn't want to open the daycare center because I don't have kids of my own. And I said, I don't know anything about kids. And then a a girl, 12-year-old girl, entered the sewing class and she was pregnant. She was seven months pregnant. And it actually, it broke my heart. And I Mm. thought, this is now, I really need to do something about that. And that's how I started to take care of kids. And... uh, I didn't have any money. I used my own money. I opened the daycare center. I give them uh, sandwiches for lunch and uh, look at them, keep them medically. And then there was a lady from America, uh, Lindsay Tarquinio. She came on a missions trip to South Africa. She met the kids she fell in love with them and she said to me she's going to do some fundraising in the states and send me the money uh, so that I can take better care of them and through her I met Greg and he came out he saw what we were doing and they helped me to because at that time we had 120 kids and not enough space and ROI helped me to build extra eight classes for the kids. And uh, since then, we've got a, a very close relationship with them. They also helped me to sponsor kids to go to a private uh, high school because our education level is very bad in South Africa. I'm sorry to say it, but it is terrible. The, you talk about the education? The education system, yes. Yeah, yeah. In I want to also circle back to what you said a moment ago. In Jeffrey Bay's area, in South Africa even, in that area, the 12-year-old young girl who was pregnant, as you say, and it broke your heart. And, I, and it breaks my heart as well to hear that. And I need to ask you, how common is that there, that a 12-year-old would be pregnant? Is that very rare or is it more common? Um, 
there is a few that I know of, but it's not very um, common. But uh, unfortunately, there are kids 13, 14 that are mm -hmm. pregnant and have babies. Um, it is just uh, the men just rape whoever they get hold of, so yeah. they don't actually care. Yeah. Rhea, you never had children, you said, correct? No. You never had children, yeah. That that was by choice, no. I, I assume, by choice? You just you didn't want to? No, I never got married. Okay. All right. So you never got married. <laughs> All right. Well, that's fair. That's fair. And so you would get married to have children. You've never been married? No. No. And I, I, I want to ask you, if I may, please, and hopefully, how old are you now? I'm 68. And I ask that because you've mentioned retired a couple of times, and you mentioned retired back yes. even back in 01. And so I'm thinking I can't yes. really tell how old you are because you sound terrific. So I don't know if you're, you know, 40 or 80, but that makes sense. <laughs> you know, really. <laughs> no, though, I'm but, 68. <laughs> okay, 68. Perfect. Well, you're a young 68. I will say that, young lady. So, um, and so... <laughs> And I want to ask you something. I want to talk a moment in a serious way to you here. You know, um, I have the sense this happens so more often around the world than I would like to admit. I've seen it in other countries. We've talked to other women on the brink of greatness from other countries in South America, in Mexico, Central America, who've also had the problem of being raped like a lot of them like epidemic, you see, you know, and yeah. you think about the culture and the culture. And I, I just want to touch a moment here. And may I, and I want to, again, being honest with you. And if you honestly, you ask the question, have you ever been raped? No, no. I, I don't know how you've been able to avoid it, but the, 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 the problem I wonder is why, and, and why are men, why are they such savages, as you just said a moment ago, that they don't care who they rape or what it is or how old or who, but they just do whatever? Why is that, Rhea? Do you have any idea why they are that way? I have my own theory. I don't know if it's true, but there's a lot of, a lot of fishermen in Jeffreys Bay. They go on to the sea for three weeks, then they come back, and then they are looking for women as soon as they get off that boat. And then there's also a lot of men that um, work on other places, and when they get home, they just looking for women, and if they can't find women, they just using little girls. Mm -hmm. um, oh, there isn't a... In, in the community where I live, uh, where I work, there's not a great sense of family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, usually it's single mothers and they've got boyfriends and the boyfriends mm -hmm. abuse the, the little girls. Mm -hmm. um, I am trying to get the families to stay together and have a sense of family but it's, it's not very common in the yeah. place where I work. Rhea, it's, um, 
I, I, I'm so always moved by these stories, but uh, yours, it, it moves me very much. I can see where Greg would um, find you grace personified and why he would do everything he could. I, I understand this. I truly do. I would do the same thing in that situation as Greg did. I, I totally understand it. And, and you know, and you're doing something about it. I mean, you're, you're, a, you're an amazing woman, an amazing woman. And uh, just you're, you're what I, again, to celebrate you and your life is truly a blessing for all. And to see what you've gone through. And, but the gift that you give back to so many and the passion and that you care the way you care for another fellow human being is, is a gift. And it's, it's why I say you are what I call a brink thinker. And it's, it's somebody who just, they defy the odds. They defy the odds, Rhea. And they, no matter what life throws at them, they take it to another level. And my love, you have absolutely done that. You are to be celebrated and applauded and always, I mean, truly, truly, truly. And I think as I talk to you folks out there now, I, uh, I, it really moves me to see how these things go on in the world. And I, I, it's hard for civilized people that are respectful of another human being, how one could do such a thing. As Rio, you say, they're out on boats or three. There's no excuse for this sort of animalistic behavior and the hostilities and the, the evilness that comes out of such creatures. I mean, it's, it's entirely uncivilized on so many levels. All for what, you know? To destroy lives for their moments of pleasure of some sort. And what kind of pleasure would that possibly be? And you savagely rape a young girl. I mean, that is sick beyond sick. Um, but the story now has, and I, I just say that because it just documents really, you know, you can't hide the truth, Rhea. You understand that? You know, yes. The truth is the truth, right? I mean, you know, the facts yeah. are facts are facts. I mean, you know, we can't lie about things. We can't hide the truth. We got to face the truth, Ria. Truth, yeah. And we we have to know there's more out there, and we've got to be able to do it. And as you say, and you you pull in from the faith of God, and you you're able to do so much more in that power. So, all right. So now with what you're doing with um. Greg's story, and I have such a compassion now to hear this story and know what Greg has done here is uh, truly, uh, uh, I mean, talk about, um, it, it, you know, it, ROI in action. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the, the work he's doing now. To see it in just real living color in this way is uh, really a gift, a blessing. And to know that he's been on the brink with us and we've talked about amazing stories um, there's more to this and obviously we've got to, you know, connect back with Greg in the future as well and see uh, much more of the work he's doing out there. But I, I have such, uh, even higher faith for him now and, and, um, uh, confidence, commitment, uh, respect, um, friends, we'll, um, pause on the brink here a moment. Rhea Peters, um, South Africa, Jeffrey Bays and the story and the, the family support center now that she has um, created, which almost sounds like it 
it blossoms so I don't know how quick it was blossoming. Let's find that out in just a moment. But it sounds like it is really doing tremendous work with this generation now. More on the brink in just a moment here. I'm going to ask you to go to thewoundedblue.org. That's www.thewoundedblue.org. That is the website for the organization that is the National Association for um, Injured and Disabled Police Officers. It is a support organization for these men and women who have given so much in the line of duty. We desperately need your help to raise money to uh, get this this movement going. And uh, if you are a GoFundMe-er, go to GoFundMe, look up The Wounded Blue, and you can give there as well. But check it out, please, and also check out our film, The Wounded Blue, on Amazon.com. Ria, the name of the center. Tell us the name of the center, please. Uh, Itemba means hope. It's a Tosa word. And uh, it actually, if you translate it into English, it's the Hope Family Support Center. Center, I love it. Intemba, Intember Family Support Center. Hope, hope. Yeah, hope, yes. Hope, hope Family, Intemba Family Support Center. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And uh, in Jeffrey Bay's South Africa. So how, uh, the way you fast uh, uh, speed that story moments ago when you were talking about, I was stunned, by the way, when you're talking about the numbers. The only thing I know, you went from helping that one girl and that with the 12-year-old who was pregnant who moved you in such a way where you knew you had to do more to all of a sudden hundreds of people. Tell us more of that story as I'm looking at your website right now. And tell us more of that story, please. Well, when I decided to open a daycare center. I said, I'll take 22 kids. Uh, Please don't ask me why um, I said 22. I honestly, I don't know. I just said, I'll take 22 kids and then I will look after them. But the first day there was 25 kids and the next day there was 35 and the next month there was 53 but at that time I had to to uh, employ people to help me with the kids and um, it grew over a period of 10 years that today we have 173 kids in the mornings wow Um, wow and then we started uh, after kids program where we teach the kids life skills and help them with homework. Mm -hmm. As I said, the education level in the township is very low. And we've got about uh, 90 kids in the afternoon that comes for homework. So it is just... um, I had to. I have to employ a lot of people to help with the kids. Right, and you pay these people to do a job, and then right, and I mean, this yes. is where you needed the funding for. Yeah. And um, and yes. now, do you work on a daily basis? Are you in more the executive administration, or are you teaching? No, I am the principal at the moment. There, I I'm love actually it. the. I uh, officially, I'm the. Uh, project manager, but I am the principal too. 
I tried to employ, I had three principles, but it didn't work. And so I decided I'll do it myself. <laughs> so that I know it is. I, I love right. this. I, I love that. No, no, that's that's just perfect, Ria. I, sure. I, I employed the three principles, and you know, it wasn't working. I decided to do it myself because you know why? Because you knew it would be done right then, right? Yes, that's correct. Exactly that. So, and, so let me ask you. So, in what year did you start the daycare? Like, what was the beginning? In two thousand and seven. 2007 and I guess that was yeah. the same year that was the same year that Lindsay then came to uh, visit on her mission yes yes and and why was she coming there I mean I know it was a mission but it was was it she was she alone? yeah I know she came with a friend I don't know if she would like me to say that but actually a guy from our church met her on a mission trip to Zambia and he was head over heels in love with her. And he uh -huh. actually brought her over because, but, but that at that time she already met her husband. And uh, when she came here, she told him, sorry, it's not going to work. And then he was so upset, he left her with me. And I had this totally two strange people that I had to take care of. But, but uh, isn't, that, isn't that interesting though that she, he met met her, brought her to you, and she was part of, I guess, the reason, you know, you're funded. So it's kind of like God brought you both together. <laughs> yeah, I honestly believe God did bring us together because she's an amazing woman, I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Well, fate plays a big part of these things and the timing in life. Timing is everything in life, timing. I mean... You know, there are times we're in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time. And we never really know why, but it happens, you know, and um, yeah. it, it does happen this way. But it is right how the story started to uh, speed up, Kevin, the way you uh, mentioned that as well. It really did get go fast. And now I think now now I just see you now, though. I just focus on you as the principal now of this uh, of this family support center. And um, Hope, I mean, in Temba, Itemba Family Support Center. Now, I want to read here to you folks here, uh, just off their website here, and uh, is, our mission is to provide a place of hope and safety for children in the local community. And as you talk about here, Rhea, poverty has left a very large group of children in our township with little or no food and no safe place to stay during the day. Again, you talk about safety, you talk about education, you talk about, so it's economics, so it's jobs, it's education, it's all the things that will uh, help correct society a little bit. So you're trying to bring more uh, civility and correction back to society, and that will hopefully lower the crime rate down to where it's not a problem, right? So people can live happy lives. No, that's actually my mission, is to get these kids to the understanding that they don't need to stay in the township uh, in the state that they are. They were through education and God they can get out of there and le live decent lives. That's yeah, actually that's what it. I want. Well, and I say here, your quote says, I realize that we cannot help everyone, but we can make a meaningful difference in the lives of a few children. While I am able yes. to help, I will do my utmost best. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, you're, as you say here, you're offering every resource that a child might need to reach their full potential, including a sponsorship program to better education for academic achievers. Uh, one of the things I enjoy seeing here is your message of get involved. And, uh, and, it, and it speaks to me, basically, and I love to get involved because it is my sign-off and it's my message I use, Rhea. I call it get involved, get loud, okay? Um, is my name, Malcolm Out Loud and America Out Loud, and we're run, but get involved, get loud, you see, you know? And, um, and that's what you see. So if you go to get involved on this uh, site here, and this will be under Brink Charities, friends, on thebrinkofgreatness.com. Uh, and the websites will all be, uh, if you're listening to this on talk radio, I'll give you the website now so you can get there, but it will all be in the post when it does go to the front page of the platforms. Um, it is very simply I T H E M as in Mary B as in boy, a F as in Frank S C dot org. And uh, that would be the website. All the links will be on the sites. But I wanted to give it to you one time at least. So you had that if you want to check it out. And there are, there are various information points here um, on the Get Involved. Uh, she's got the volunteer piece as a teacher or teacher aide. Uh, she's got the, the, even the account numbers of Bank of America and the Bank in South Africa and the various components and pieces that are needed to help the children. And this is your ultimate goal, though, and this is what you're doing, though, is managing all this, uh, Rhea. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to manage it. And the, the uh, my first boy that was with us since he was six years old, uh, when he graduated in uh, high school and he got a decent job and he came to my office and I said, I just want to say to you, thank you for seeing something in me that I didn't see in myself because other, um, otherwise I would have been with my friends in the streets using drugs, but you gave me a decent uh, life. And I thought, well, all the struggles and everything was worthwhile. That's your payback right there, isn't it? That's the gift. Yeah. That's the gift. That's there the gift. a yeah. few things that I can tell you, but that will take ages. But you, in other words, you're saying you have a lot of stories, you're saying, a lot of stories. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so people are finding hope and promise, and, they, and, they, uh, and that's, the, that's the gift. I mean, you feel good when that happens, right? Yes. That's, that's the whole thing. I made a difference in one life. I feel it's worthwhile. Well, I'm looking and at a photograph. I'm look looking at a photograph of you right now on the website. I'm looking at the board members by chance. And I see the picture of you, Rhea, very much there, and Willie and Thelma and Annalise, all the board members you have there. Lindsay, as you were just talking about, Lindsay. And, uh, and they're all on the site as well. Uh, and the staff itself, it's interesting to see some of this now, to see who the players are. Uh, you have a vice principal and your cook. I like this here. So it, all the services you're offering, right? The staff and the teachers and all these amazing women. I, I would imagine this has become like one big family, is it? It, it does. Yeah. It is a one big family. You can see that. It looks like one big family of people that are uh, doing everything they can to help out and uh, provide a better, and it's all here. I like the website, by the way, because it provides uh, some really good direction here. You have the partners here as well, and the partners are uh, different folks that are like sponsors or partners, I guess, right, with you, I assume. 
Yes. Yeah. And then you have, you have after school care as well and education sponsorships. And so it's, it's really become a full program then, huh, Ria? Yes. It's a big job at the moment. Yeah. Talk to me about the future, please. What happens next? Uh, what do you want to do? Uh, where do you want to go? Is are you there where you want to be, or what? Where do we go now? What happens? Um, I still have a dream to open a center for the teenagers, where they can go um, during the weekends um, to basketball or whatever to keep them off the streets and out of the. Um, the Shabins, that's a place where they sell uh, alcohol in the township and um, where they can feel that they were something. Yeah. And they're not doomed just to that because wow. there's no grass, there's no trees, there's no nothing. It's just you, you need to see it to believe what you uh, see. Would that be another center, Rhea? Would that be another center? It, it must be because I'm out of space, uh, Malcolm, at the moment. I right, right. have a lot of um, kids that are struggling with the uh, education because of their mother's heavy drinking while they were pregnant mm-hmm. and drug abuse. So they really struggle. And wow. uh, I started a class uh, for them to do remedial education, see if I can help them to get somewhere and get them some skill that they eventually can do something to support themselves. Hmm. So my space is, I'm out of space. I need another center. Rhea, you are an incredible, incredible blessing. I mean, and you're blessing so many people. I, you know that, don't right? You know that, yes? <laughs> I don't know it every day, Malcolm. I'm just ordinary, just I know. by the grace of God, I can do it. But I just want you to know that. You, I just, as we sit here and talk today, I want you to know that. Okay? You, the reason, the reason it's you. so important is you, you talked only about one success, and I know it's just the one you spoke about, but you have hundreds of kids every day that you're actually helping to get education and feed and, and, and give medical assistance. I mean, you are just an amazing person, you know, reaching out to others and taking, you know, the scriptures and God and, and deciding that something that hurts you, now you're out there helping and doing something about it, which to me is like, you know, the, the, the best thing about humanity. And that's all that comes out to being you. So thank you. Well, I, the reason why I just used that one success story, that was the first one that started with us and left us uh, because he's not in Jeffrey's Bay anymore. Uh, but he got a decent job in Port Elizabeth. And uh, that was the first success story. That's the first one. And there are many, many more and many since, and there'll be many more in the future here. Um, I, um, it, it, you're an incredible woman. There's no doubt in my mind, Rhea Peters. And um, just looking at your photograph and seeing you there and uh, knowing that. Um, and the work you're doing uh, is profound. And I know our listeners can feel that with you. You're, but that's what it takes. On, on, um, I mean, it takes good people on this planet to make it right. 
Uh, that is the best of humanity. That is absolutely the best of humanity, people. So that's what it takes. And it's people like Rhea Peters. And so, uh, you know, these are the kinds of folks we can help. I, I just, I can't say it enough again. These are the kinds of people we can help, people like Rhea Peters, make a difference in the world. And it matters. It matters. I have an area on the brink of greatness. It's called Brink Charities. Where you can where you can get some dollars, and in in just a few dollars here and there make a difference. And I think Rio will tell you that every little bit helps because it helps keep the lights on. It helps pay the things that need to be paid and feed these people and do the things that need to be done in a way that she's doing. And so I encourage you all to to help get involved and let's help be part of something bigger. But again, Rio is another another one of those brink thinkers, friends on on this amazing planet we call earth, right? I mean, isn't that what it's about? A fellow man helping a fellow man out. And then there's so much more to the story we spent today with Rhea and talking about the, the difficult part of that story. But in order to understand the blessing and understand all the good that comes out of it, you have to understand the truth as well and what somebody goes through like Rhea, you know, and this is what happens. And as we continue to talk about these stories, it's important. It's important stuff. I want to ask you to share the stories back on brinkofgreatness.com, please. I need you to share the stories, friends. I want you to get them out there, please, and tell people about this awesome site. You've got to tell folks about it. I can open up the doors. I can build it and tell all kinds of great stories and do my part, but I need you to do your part out there, and that's to help share the positive messages. There's a lot more in the news, and there's a lot more that's going on with people like Rhea. It's making a difference in the world, and I encourage all of you to do that, but that's what it takes today uh, to make this world a better place, which is really the goal here, I think. So a uh, big, big, tell you what, uh, even digitally right now across continents, a big hug and kiss to you, Rhea Peters, from, from me, from Malcolm to you, love. Thank you so much. Thanks for speaking to me, and I hope I will meet you someday. This would be a beautiful thing, and your message, uh, I feel your message, and we hear it, and I, we hold you up high. Uh, friends, that's what it takes. The brink of greatness can only happen when you're willing to push beyond the boundaries and limitations that are holding you back. What's holding you back? Remember to take the next leap forward.